0: This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, What Love Does, and it comes from 1 John 3, 13-24. But before we start our lesson today, we're Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that, first song's ever played, there's utility bills and town rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601 483 and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift, WordTalk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. You can also give via the WMER app. Right there at the bottom in the spinning wheel, there's a dollar sign. If you click on it, you'll be able to give right over the app. So won't you do that today? Your gift to WordTalk, Inc. is IRS approved to the 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with well, no spaces between Radio Bible Class.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. We're there too. Whether that's Spotify or Google or Amazon or iTunes, we're there. Just search for WMER. Radio Bible class with no space between. Radio Bible class. Today we pick back up in the book of 1 John and for all our new listeners that have not called any of the lessons, let me do a quick summary of where we're at and then we'll jump right in. John is writing to the church and he's telling these young Christians about their walk with Christ. He's reminding them and he's reminding what they've been taught because Gnosticism has worked its way into the church and gnosticism tried to separate the way we live from our spiritual walk roughly we had a bunch of sloppy christians that were living in the church that felt like they could live however they wanted to because they had spiritual knowledge of what their salvation was and it didn't matter how they lived as long as they were good with god and john starts off in chapter one where he talks about in the beginning was god and that he was an eyewitness that he saw him he touched him he heard him and he was the only true witness. He was one of the last apostles left as he's writing this letter to the church. He's saying, I am a true witness. These other folks that are coming in and teaching you this false gospel, they're false teachers. Don't listen to them. Remember what you've been taught by the apostles. And then he got into the characteristics of God. He talked about God is light. And if you have God inside of you, Then you have light and you can't walk in darkness. And so there he's trying to dispel this myth that we can live however we want to, and yet we're still okay with God. He's saying that either you live in the light and you walk in the light, because if not, then you don't have Jesus in you. You don't have the Father because it purifies us from sin. And then in chapter 2, he got into how we're to love one another, how we're supposed to love the Father. We had a vertical relationship with God, and then we have a horizontal relationship with each other. And he declares in chapter 2 that anyone that declares that they are Christian, that they that they have the light in them, but they hate their brother, then they're still in darkness. They're fooling themselves. And then over our past two lessons, we looked at first being called a child of God. What great love the Father has that he allows us to be called children of God, that we are his own. We've been adopted by him if we're truly saved. And then he talked about living that pure life. He said, eventually the Father's coming back. Jesus is coming back for us. And when he appears, we will become like him. We shall see him as he is and we will be like that. And we have this hope in him that the purity that's in him will be in us and that we should be striving to be as close to that pure as we can. And then in verse 4, he really lays down the gauntlet. He says, anyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared that he might take away our sins. And in him there's no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And so he's saying again that if we are saved, that we're a new creature. And even though we do have that sinful nature still in us in our flesh, that we don't openly walk in sin. That we strive to live a righteous life. And then last week we talked about that seed that is planted inside of us. That's the Holy Spirit. And he says the same thing again, that no one who's born of God, no one who's been reborn lives in sin because we have a seed inside of us. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that's how we know that we are children of God is that we do not walk in sin. Only children of the devil walk in sin. Again, we're going to occasionally sin, but we don't choose to sin. Children of God love one another, and they choose to walk in a righteous lifestyle. We follow His commandments. And so that's what we're going to pick up today. We're going to talk more on love and hatred. And we're going to talk about what love does. And as we get into this, I really want you to understand that love is the identifying mark of the children of God. Jesus said, By this shall all men know you, that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The way we love one another should be like Jesus loves us, and that's how people will know that we are his disciples. Now understand, I talked about this before, that we don't have that kind of love inherent in us, that that love of the Father is poured out into us when we yield to the Holy Spirit. And he tells us that we should love people like he loved us and like he loved them. And so he's going to show us what love does and really what love doesn't do. And I'm going to start in verse 11. We actually finished in verse 11 and 12. But I'll pick right back up there because he gave us an example of Cain and the murderous act that Cain did. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We'll start in verse 11 and I'll be reading out of the ESV. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and you know that no murder has eternal life residing in them. We're going to stop right there for now and unpack these uh, five verses right here. Now he uses Cain as an example, and he gets into murder because murder is the most extreme form of hate that there is. And it's the exact opposite of what love is. And he brings that mentality and that thought process into this section of scripture. I want to point out in verse 12 that he says that Cain was of that wicked one. There he's talking about the devil. And we all agree, I hope, that people are not born in the world as the children of God. They have to accept. They have to make a decision to accept God. We're born as children of the devil. As a matter of fact, Ephesians tells us that. If you turn to Ephesians 2, look at starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's describing the devil there. He's saying that you used to walk in the same trespasses, but you've been made whole. And look how he describes how he walked. Verse 3 among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So right there, we see that we were part of the devil and we were children of wrath and we were not children of God. But in verse four, he gives us the good news. See, that's the bad news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is this, that God being rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace, we have been saved and we've been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And so we see that Cain was not a righteous person, but he was an evil person in that he walked in the wrath. He was what we see right here in Ephesians 2. So we need to understand there's two distinct families here that this is talking about, not physical families, but spiritual families. There's the children of God and the children of the devil. And Cain was of that wicked one. He had an attitude of the devil. The Bible tells us in John chapter eight, verse 44, that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. The devil's desire is to murder. The devil comes to steal and destroy. And so right here we see that Cain did this terrible act that he killed his brother. And why did he do it? Why did he kill him? Was because he was jealous. His offering wasn't accepted. If you go back to Genesis 4, we went over that last week. I won't go back into that. But Cain was jealous of his brother, and so he takes him out to the field and he kills him. God accepted his brother Abel's sacrifice. He didn't accept his, and so Cain was jealous. He's not willing to do it God's way, he wanted to do it his way. Cain was not willing to follow the directions of the Lord. And the love was not with him, and because that he didn't follow the Lord, he killed his brother. He committed murder. So then we see right in verse 13 that in the presence of hate, it is like murder. And we understand that murder is the opposite of love, and we would all have to agree then if there's a murderous heart, then there is the lack of love and there's malice there. And now after talking about Cain, he starts setting up that we live in a world of hate. That hatred is amongst, between nations. There's hatred in the business world. There's hatred among neighbors. There's hate everywhere that we see. And that if we are in God, if Jesus lives inside of us, then we don't hate others. We love others and we show the love of Christ. Otherwise, we are like the world and we're not separated from the world. Remember what Jesus said about the nature of the world? Jesus said it this way. He said, they hated me and they'll hate you. The world doesn't love you if you're a Christian. Cain hated his brother Abel because God accepted his sacrifice because he followed God's way. And God didn't allow Cain to do it his own way. And the world will do the same thing to you. It may not physically murder you, but it will cancel you out. It will Keep you from getting that promotion. It will stop you from making and be having a blessing if you call out the name of Jesus Christ and you make a stand on God's word. And then he says in verse 14 that we've been pulled out, that this isn't our world, that we've been transposed out of death into life. And in doing so, that we've been taken out of the world. And our heart now is not filled with hate like the world. If we're saved and the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we have a heart of love. If we all stop and think, we can think about that person that was a person of hate, but then after they were saved, that they had this new thing. They were totally different. All of a sudden, they went from being a grumpy, hateful person to being a loving person. And you can't do that on your own. That is being saved and the Holy Spirit filling you and changing you and you becoming that new creature. I had to go to Pensacola this week, and while I'm driving, it's amazing that driving really brings out and shows me areas of weakness in my life, but I found some times where I got very frustrated at the way people drive, and I had to ask the Lord to forgive me because I wasn't being a very loving person, and I know all of you are more holier than me. You're probably sitting here, and you don't have any malice. You don't have any hate in your heart for any other person, and good for you. But if we're honest, we all have some areas that we need to work on because this is not part of our nature. We have to die to ourselves and we have to walk in the Holy Spirit in that new nature. And when we do that, then we have the Holy Spirit that can teach us to love people the way Jesus loved people. And that's why it's important that we deal with our malice in our heart and those times that we see that hate come out. And some of you are going, well, Tim, I ain't murdered anybody. But I want you to understand, we talked about this last week as well, that the hate that's in our heart, those times that we see that bad part of it come out, may not be an actual murder, but the murder is an outward deed, but the real intention is inside. And that's why Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. And so that's why it's important that we understand and we take care of that hatred or that malice that comes out at times when we really get frustrated because what it wraps up right here is it says that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him and again it's not saying that you've killed somebody it's saying that you have that malice that hatred in you and if you have that and you don't lay that at the feet of jesus if you don't try to let the holy spirit help you overcome that then you don't have the father in you and I can hear some of you right now, hold on, Tim, I've been baptized. I don't care what you say. I've got the Holy Spirit inside of me. And maybe you do. That's not me to decide. But John is challenging us as Christians, and he's writing to Christians. He's saying that if you had that malice in you and you don't take care of it, if you allow it to fester and you allow it to rule you, then you don't have the love of Jesus in you because that wasn't in Jesus. Now turn with me to verse 16 and 17. Let's look what he says there. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet close his heart against him, he doesn't have God's love abiding in him. And verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and truth. Boys, I got to this part of the lesson felt like the holy spirit had a two by four banging me on the head going tim you need to not only understand what love is you don't need to just talk it you need to walk it and that's what he really says in verse 18 is let us not love in word or talk but in deed and truth so now we're starting to see a contrast from the wickedness and the act of cain and John's turns the attention to the perfect display of love that's found in jesus we know what love looks like when we look at Jesus. See, he laid down his life for us. And this is the kind of love that John is talking about. We're not talking about saying that we love each other. We're not talking about some fuzzy brotherly love. We're not talking about some sexual love. We're talking about an agape love, a sacrificial love. Let me just stop and ask you the question. When was the last time that you sacrificed yourself for someone else? Maybe you gave that last $5 in your pocket to buy them a meal. Maybe you gave somebody that last $5 in your pocket to put gas in their car. When's the last time you sacrificially gave to someone else in an act of love? If you're like me, those questions strike home. Because we get so caught up, we get so self-consumed, and the devil allows that to happen to us. Children of the devil are about themselves. I need that last five dollars because I might need it for X. Instead of sacrificially giving it to somebody, we think about ourselves, what we might need it for, so therefore we keep it in our pocket and we just ignore them. What love doesn't do is it doesn't become self-consumed. It doesn't give to itself in spite of others. It, It doesn't take instead of give. You think about people that are very selfish about themselves, then you understand that they're never doing for others. They have others do for them. It's never about what they can do for others. It's about what can others do for me. It's all about me. And we live in a society that teaches us that that's the way we should be. And what we're learning is as a Christian, we should look just the opposite of that. And when we do, the world's not going to like us. And you go, well, Tim, the Bible's not of today. Were you telling me that Jesus isn't of today? We shouldn't look like Jesus because that's what Jesus did. Jesus gave and he gave and he never took. Jesus told us in John 15 verses 12 through 15 that this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friend if you do what I command you. See, love is the denial of self, and it's all about another person's gain. And we see this very principle that Jesus taught us. Jesus denied himself, though, that we all could gain. And this is the greatest commandment of God, is that we love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, all our mind. That means we're, we give sacrificially to God. And then we love others as we love ourselves. And that's an easy one to say, but it's very hard to do because we love ourselves. And to put somebody at the same level or above that is hard. It's not in our nature. And if you want to be a child of God, then you do the opposite of what the world does. It means that we deny ourselves and we do it for the glory of God. And then he really, like I said, hit me with the two by four when he said, love is not just what you say, but it's how you act. The practical example that John gives us is a Christian who has a lot of material possession and he sees a brother in Christ that's in need and he doesn't do anything about it. First of all, I don't want to take the teeth out of what this message had on me, but I also want to make sure we make the right observation what John is saying. And John's not speaking about people that stand out in the median who will not work. John is not talking about the guy looking for a handout so he can go buy beer. John in this context, is speaking about helping a Christian brother in need, someone that has fallen on hard times even though he's trying to make it and he's just not making ends meet. And what he wants us to understand is that if we find a brother and sister in Christ to be in need, then we as individuals should do something about it. You and I as individuals are responsible to share what we have with our brothers and sisters who are in true need. If we go back to Jesus' definition, love is the denial of self, and it is about the gain of someone else. We must sacrifice our material goods that we're trying to store up, maybe for retirement, maybe for kids' college, maybe for that next car. I don't know what it is, but we are to give sacrificially. We're taught that we will get a blessing in return. I'm not a name it and claim it. I'm not saying if you give $5, you're going to get $5 back. I'm saying you're going to get a blessing. I don't know what that blessing is. God will take care of that. And so getting back on track, John is trying to tell them if our hearts are closed against our brother in need and we don't act to help, then how can we think that God's love is in us? We have to live out that righteous life. We can't just say we love. We have to show that we do love. Listen to James 2 verse 15. Again, James is telling us that we should act out our faith. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lack in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and feel without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself does not have works is dead. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was inspired to teach us That if we don't live out our love, if we don't love out for others, then our faith, our action is dead. It's only in the way we speak. We're not walking the walk. We're just talking a talk. Now, look how he wraps up. Look at verse 19. We'll finish up the rest of this chapter. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we shall receive from him, because we keep his commandment and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And what he's saying right here in verse 19 through 24 is that our actions give us confidence. It reassures us that we are in Christ. And even though when we do fall short that God is greater than our action and he can forgive us if we'll just ask for forgiveness, and next time we need to correct that, the next time the Holy Spirit tugs on us, we need to give that money away. We need to help that person in need. John summarized this really saying, if you want to know if you have eternal salvation, if you want to know if you are affirmed to have eternal life, then it'll be through your actions of love. If you love like Jesus loved, guess what? More than likely, you have Jesus in you. You're denying yourself and you're helping others. And therefore, you're living out the commandment that the Father told us that we're to do. And the other thing I'll say, because I'm out of time, is that sometimes we condemn ourselves. We're not being condemned. What he's teaching us here is that sometimes we're going to blow it. We're going to not love like we should have loved. And our conscience will bother us even though we've asked for forgiveness and we've been forgiven. Even when we have fallen short, John wants us to know that we can have our hearts assured. That we are walking in the light, confessing our sins and turning to the Lord. God has promised to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Remember we say that in 1 John 1, 1.9. God is greater than our hearts. God knows our action. God knows our heart. And he's able to forgive us if we truly ask for forgiveness and we don't have to worry about that condemnation that we're putting on ourselves. God knows when we are seeking him because God knows everything. God knows our heart. And God is greater than our condemning heart if we have messed up and we are beating ourselves up over. God is greater than our guilty feelings, what John says. I'm out of time. So let me close with this final thought. In verse 23 and 24, it summarizes all this truth that we know and we have eternal life and we have confidence before God. When we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, our hope is in Jesus. And when we follow after him alone, when we follow after his commandments, when we choose to live righteous instead of openly choosing sin. The other thing is, it says when we love one another, just as the Lord commanded us then we are living like He wants us to live. Our love becomes sacrificial. It becomes an agape love. It's not about what we're going to get from it. It's about giving when when the person you give to can't give it back. If we're following His commandment, we're abiding in Him, and we're loving like Him, then we know and we have confidence that we are keeping His command. We're not listening just to ourselves or to the world or to Satan. We're putting away the desires of the flesh. We're putting away the desires of the eyes, the pride of life that we studied about, and we're following the desires of the Lord. We're following after the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God to let us know that God abides in us and that we have that full, complete revelation of his word and we're living it out. Think of it this way. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so he could guide the apostles into all truth who wrote about the mysteries and wrote it into the Bible so that we could understand how we're to live out the commandments that we are to live. And once we understand that and we read his word and we pray and we spend time with him and we tie to ourselves, we start living like Jesus lived. We'll never be like Jesus. Jesus was the only perfect person to ever live. But we should be striving to be more like him every day. We can't accept the status quo. As Christians, we should be pursuing Him. We should passionately want to be more like Him. And that means loving others, even when they can't help us. That means giving sacrificially, even when we wonder how we're going to get by because we really need that. Are you walking in faith? Are you doing what God's telling you to do? Are you doing things on your plan and letting God just be a part of it when it's convenient? Are you doing what love does? Are you doing what love doesn't do? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, I appreciate this challenging word. Lord, you spoke heavily to my heart as I prepared this lesson. Lord, you spoke to me about the times that I didn't act. I did it out of talk. I didn't do it out of deed. I I had an opportunity to help a brother or sister in need, and I was worried about myself instead of giving sacrificially. And Lord, I I ask for forgiveness right here in in the open public, even though in you I have already talked about this. And Lord, I know there are others listening to me today that have done the same thing. Lord, I pray today that we would understand that we are to live sacrificially. We're to live in agape love. And Lord, when we understand that and we start living that life, then your Holy Spirit just gets us in a closer walk to you. And Lord, right now, I pray for the one that's listening to me, and you're convicting their heart just like you did mine this week. Lord, I pray today that they won't condemn themselves. They'll ask for forgiveness. They'll lay this at your feet. And they may even go to that brother and sister, and they may go ahead and say, hey, the Lord's laid it on my heart to give this to you. And just do that act of faith. Lord, right now, I pray for the one that doesn't know you at all. They don't understand what we're talking about. Lord, I pray today that the Holy Spirit is knocking at the door. Your word teaches us in Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open that door, I will come in and sup with him. I will spend time with him. Lord, I pray today they'll open that door. Or they'll admit that they are a sinner and they need a Savior. And you are that Savior that they need. And Lord, they'll say, I believe on your finished work on the cross and how you overcame death. And Lord, I want you to be The Lord of my life, which means that not only am I believing and accepting your mercy and your grace that you're giving me, but Lord, I'm going to chase after you. I'm going to live that sacrificial life. Lord, I'm going to live a life that you would have lived, that you would want me to live, the life you called me to. And Lord, they'll chase after you and follow after your commandments. They'll commit that walk to walk, not just to talk. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all your many blessings. Lord, I pray a blessing over everyone that hears this lesson today. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.